Have you ever broken something and tried to fix it? Or found an object you were compelled to bring back to life? What kind of item was it? Why was it worth your time? One of my treasured belongings is an old typewriter that belonged to my mother, an Olivetti Latera, 22. She tells me she used to write book reports on it in the ninth grade. When she gifted it to me, we pulled it out of a closet where it had been gathering dust for decades. The ribbon had dried, and when I tried to type, only faint indentations appeared on the paper. I tracked down a store that sold refills and took apart the typewriter, unscrewing the ribbon spools and slotting the new ones into their proper place. When I could finally type properly and see crisp black ink on the page, it was a euphoric moment. I had restored the machine back to its former glory and was somehow closer to my mother and understanding her childhood. My next creativity call is all about restoration and conservation. I'm going to be talking to a friend who understands what it takes to give objects life and also knows a thing or two about talking on the radio. Brandon is a friend I've known since my first year of university. We even started a student radio show together called All Ears. It was an advice talk show where we answered questions from the student body, which mainly consisted of our closest friends who loyally tuned in every week. Since then, Brandon has graduated from UBC in anthropology and completed a degree at Fleming College in Cultural Heritage Conservation Management. I'm going to call him to reminisce about the good old days and learn about his curation and restoration projects. Hello. Hi. Hey, Brandon, how are you? I'm good, how are you? I'm good. It's been so long. I, it's so nice to hear your voice. I know. I was thinking actually today the last time I saw you was about a year ago. Was it? Yeah, I guess in Vancouver, like before pandemic even happened. Exactly, yeah. So it's, it's been, it's been a, feels like a decade, really. I know. It feels like 12 years. <laughs> <laughs> and you're working right now? Yeah. Um, I started working, so I, I was laid off. Uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, and then uh, with the reopening, they yeah. asked me to come back, and so I'm a supervisor now. How have you been, like, coping? Like, have things changed since the beginning of quarantine for you? Yeah, so, um, I, you know, I lived with Yannick, and, uh, who I lived with for 
six, almost six, seven years now. Yeah. Um, and so I was laid off in both Rodrigo, my partner, and Yannick were working from home. So, you know, I was just like chilling, doing absolutely nothing for three months. So I actually took on um, the heavy task of watching Grey's Anatomy. I had never seen it like from start to finish, so it was only just like ever random episodes. Yeah. <laughs> so now I'm on seven, season seven of fifteen. Oh my gosh! There's fifteen <laughs> seasons. Yeah, Holy. yeah, and I feel like I'm a doctor now. Yeah, I mean you're qualified. You've put in the work. <laughs> exactly. Um, but then after, so in I guess a month ago, I moved. Um, so I moved in the middle of the pandemic, so that was fun. Oh, yeah, like just recently, yeah. Yeah, so now I live in Chinatown, which is really nice. It's definitely a different vibe. Yeah, like I guess you're pretty close to downtown now, so you can kind of just like go there whenever. Yeah, yeah, so I'm like, I'm not even a 10-minute walk from Science World. Oh, that's awesome. It's really nice to just like walk to Pulse Creek and just like Yeah. Like the body of water, which is really nice. And like you're all settled now in your new place. Well, we're trying. I guess <laughs> it's still, still getting used to living in a, a high rise building. Oh, it's a high rise. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's nice, but um, you know, we're trying to be adults. I guess. <laughs> I, I, to be, I don't. I don't know what that means. You're an official trying. adult now. <laughs> it's terrible. I was just thinking, like, back to when we did our radio show. Like, how many years ago was that? Oh, oh my gosh. Um, like, eight me, years ago? I'm going to check to see when our last episode was. Okay. Yeah. Those those days seem so happy and exciting. Like, the first few years of university, you know? Yeah. I mean, like, we were really, it was really a different time. Like, it was. Yeah. Like, a different era. I feel like I, I had less to worry about, <laughs> uh, but it's definitely a definitely different time, which is it's funny because, you know, we, um, a friend of ours listens to the show all the time. Oh, yeah. Like, he still it's, listens to it? Yeah. Like, it's, <laughs> I guess he uses it as background noise. Wow. That, he's like a cult fan then. Like, that's amazing. <laughs> he, he just, like, messages me and says, like, oh, you know, uh, I, you guys talked about this. How do you still feel? And I was like, oh, my God, I stopped listening to this. <laughs> yeah, like, how does he remember? Like, that's incredible. Hello, you're listening to the first ever episode of All Ears on CITR 101.9 FM. My name is Morme. And my name is Brandon. And we are very excited to kick off our show um, All Ears is an advice radio program where we read real questions from the UBC community and try to give our best advice. So we will be answering questions live later on in the show. So if you do have a question you'd like to ask, you can send them in anonymously at ask.fm slash allearsubc. Um, and just to let you know, before we actually start answering real questions, um, the following radio show features two outrageously funny conversations between university students who... Well, I think we, we know everything <laughs> about the universe. Um, so please take all the advice we're about to give you with a grain of salt. I, I mean, like, what do you remember from those episodes? Honestly, like, I, you know, it was really great to have, like, it felt super professional, I guess. Yeah. 
we it was meant to like answer questions from the community. Yeah. And it ended up just being like our friends asking. <laughs> I know, yeah. They helped us out a lot by sending in questions. I wanted to ask you about your relationship with art at the moment. Are you doing anything creative as like a hobby? Like do you find that you have more time now? Yeah, so funny enough, um, my partner and I have decided that we're dedicating one day a week to arts and crafts. Oh, that's amazing. Um, so he sews, um, and I needed to find something, so I took up the clarinet. <gasps> wow, that's amazing. <laughs> that's so impressive. Um, you know, I had I had no previous experience with the clarinet. Um, I was I guess I've always been drawn to like woodwind instruments. Okay, yeah. And, um, yeah, so I went up to, like, the local um, music store, rented a clarinet, and, yeah, I've been practicing Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and, like, a lot goes into, like, breathing and the way you put the instrument in your mouth, and it's just, yeah, it was a big, big learning curve, and uh, I actually tried teaching myself just through books. Oh, wow. Uh, and, but that, that it was not going like <laughs> the first month it was just like high pitched squeaks um and so I caved in and uh, subscribed to like this online teacher oh wow like virtual learning yeah yeah and uh it yeah that honestly changed the way I I learned how to play I you have no clue if you're doing it wrong you know like yeah even though you, you it feels good like it may not be the right sound that's been grooved so mm-hmm it was really nice to have, like, something to, to compare it to. Yeah, and then, like, during quarantine, you guys had something to do together. Exactly, yeah. I mean, honestly, you know, it's, like, before quarantine, I've always been striving for, like, time off to just do absolutely nothing. And then that came, and I was like, this is too much time. <laughs> too much. World, you gave me too much time. <laughs> exactly, so... Yeah. It just got difficult. For sure. about your work and your studies as a curator and conservator how 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 are things going with that at work and what projects you might be working on um before quarantine i was on an internship so i was doing a lot more work in terms of conservation Mm -hmm. um so uh, the museum of vancouver is working on putting out an exhibit called the seat at the table which is about Chinese immigration to Vancouver. And if you don't know, I guess you would know, but there is a large Asian population yeah, in Vancouver. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so the, being the Civic Museum of Vancouver, we, we really try to capture stories from people. So it's a pretty big project because it's also being put on with the D.C. government and wow. the Chinese Canadian associations yeah. throughout the city. So the project I was working on was... Uh, condition recording objects so basically the objects that we're going to go on display sort of recording their current state so if there's any damage and you know that once it goes on display and once it's off display we can record 
Alaska changes that oh. we have occurred during the two years that would it, it would be on. Yeah. And it's pretty meticulous because, you know, it's not just like, oh, there's a scratch here. It's like, For in sure. this section, it is these issues and, uh, you know, that's like changes of color and paint yeah. or um, varnish changing and stuff like that. So. That's so important. Like, what kind of objects uh, were on display? So, uh, it's pretty mixed media, but uh, the one I was, the biggest one I was working on is the Chinese lion head dancing costume. Oh, wow. That's big. Um, so, yeah, like, you know, the ones you see for uh, Chinese New Year? Yeah. Dancing costumes, but this was made in the 50s um, by a, a master maker from Hong Kong. It was in a fire in one of the buildings downtown in Chinatown. Oh, no. So I was, I first had to record what its current state was at, and then I had to make it ready to go on display. Wow. It was almost two and a half months of working. Wow. Just on, just on that. Um, so that things like fixing repairs from debris falling on it. So there was like cracks in the, the paint, the paper structure. Yeah. Um, and then I did the, one of the hardest things a conservator can do is try to remove fire damage. Yeah. How do you even begin to do that? So again, it's the first thing is assessing what the current situation is mm-hmm. and, um, what soot is soluble in. Um, so there's a lot of tests that I had to do to see whether I can remove the soot without removing the dye from the fabric. Oh, wow. Making sure that removing the soot is also not melting the fabric. Okay. Exactly. And there's also a lot of research that goes behind it to see whether or not this has been done before or, like, what other people in the community have done to Mm -hmm. try to address this. Because fire damage is, you know, inevitable for most places, for most museums, but most museums obviously try to avoid having a fire. (laughs) So (laughs) it usually ends up being, like, disaster recovery that comes out of it. Uh And never, like, oh, this object has damage from its lifetime, mm-hmm. how do we sort of either remove this or make it better? Wow, so so it took you two and a half months to assess the damage and then you made repairs to it as well? Yes, yeah. So, yeah, again, it was a lot of testing and then, you know, some of the research suggests like contacting NASA, which was kind of fun. Contacting but, NASA? <laughs> uh, you know, soot is, is carbon-based. Uh-huh. Um, and when, because it's, when it comes to contact with fabric, for example, uh, yeah. it, it's hot and melts itself into the fabric. Um, so NASA was doing some studies on how to remove soot uh, oh. from fabric. Uh, but they were using like a $50,000 machine. Okay. Wow. There, there was no way I could get my hands on that. So. That's, that's so funny. I wish that you could have, I wish you could have like taken the costume down to NASA. <laughs> the science, the science behind it is like astronomical. Like it's really out there. And you know, I was reading their papers and I asked them for information, and they um, they provided me with some of it. But it, it is really um, advanced science, which is outside of my, my right. Uh, like it was beyond what you could have done in in the exactly. in the time frame and with your resources. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It, it was two months of you know. Um, using solvent to remove fire damage and then putting back paint flakes. It was a lot of like... Oh, wow, that's painstaking. Yeah. Yeah, because so I obviously, as a consumer, I I don't want to add anything to 
Right. Okay. Wow, Brandon, that's so cool. So, so you what you just said, like as a conservator, like you can't add anything to a certain object. Is that kind of like a golden rule? Yeah. So the that and also the other golden rule is whatever we do has to be reversible. Interesting. Because you know, as as we progress as a society, newer and better methods um, come up. Uh huh. So you know, if for example, there is a better way in the future to remove soot, um, and uh, you know what I did I makes see. it worse, I have to be able to reverse it essentially. Okay. And like, so then you record exactly what you do exactly. to the so object. Like before, so what essentially the way it works is that I do research on what it's currently at, mm-hmm. and then I make up a treatment plan, and I have to propose it to the higher ups. Uh huh. And then they agree or disagree or make changes to the treatment plan, and then I have to record every single thing I do. Yeah. And, and if there are any, like for example, if I change something, I have to say why I changed it. Um, and then I have to calculate how many hours at the end I've spent on this one object. Wow. It gets filed in its permanent record. Wow, that is so cool. So it's very, like, documented and, and meticulous. Again, all because, you know, in the future, if somebody wants to work yeah. on it again or make some changes that they are able to go back and remove or see where mm-hmm. I've been before. drew you to restoration I know you studied anthropology in your undergrad was there like a certain moment that you thought this was what you wanted to do yeah so uh, I, you know at UBC there, I took some museum classes and it was really just introduction like what a museum means and how they preserve culture and yeah. I think there was a moment sort of when uh, indigenous people were brought into like, the classroom to talk about objects um, and how there is sort of a reconnection that is happening with indigenous people and their belongings. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the moment for me because I personally don't have attachment to physical things. Yeah. And to to see, you know, indigenous people who have pretty much almost been extinct and sort of have this moment to reconnect with a moment of their history. Yeah. With was just super magical. I yeah. Guess. Like that's the only way I can think about it is it being this like sort of moment where you get are reconnected with a family member. Um, and so for me, it became about preserving that moment in time where people, you know, approach these objects and get reconnected with them. Yeah. Wow. That's that's beautiful. Like. I, I I I can see that like I don't really have anything physical that I guess like maybe there are a few things that I would be sad to um to lose and I think of those things they're ones that were given to me by a family member or something so yeah I can totally see like that inspiration um yeah and, and, and you know like you know when you lose that object and you like are scrambling throughout your house to find it and that moment you find it it's just like this euphoric feeling yeah and 
so for me, it was like witnessing that feeling happening was sort of the moment I was like, I need to do this for the rest of my life. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And like, and then recreating that like euphoria, like each time you restore a yeah, item. I mean, so yeah. When I was working on the, the dancing costume, they brought in um, a few members of this new museum that's being built in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a Chinese Canadian museum and they're focusing on the, you know, what it means to be a Chinese Canadian. Yeah. Um, and so they the board of directors came and it's all these older Asian, like influencers, I guess. Yeah. Uh, like influential people. And while I was working on it, they were like, oh my God, this was made in the district that I grew up in. China. Oh, wow. And, um, yeah, they told me that there was a phone number on the back of the, the dragon head so that you can contact the, oh. the master maker. Oh my gosh. And uh, yeah, she was like, well, these few di- the first few digits are the districts that it is in China. I grew up here and I was like, wow, that's, that's crazy. That's amazing. I mean, that's the whole reason why you do it, right? Like for exactly. moments like that. That's beautiful. Yeah. And so is, is the uh, like display on right now? So, unfortunately, no, uh, no, COVID really has pushed back. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. Um, so they were scheduled to open in April, but now they're looking to open in October. Okay, fingers crossed. Um, that's also an interesting thing. So, like, with museums and COVID and everything, um, like, what do you think about, like, virtual tours? Because, like, I see a lot of those where you can um like they filmed the museum and then people virtually walk through them like do you think that that's worth it or do you think that the physical aspect of actually being in a place adds to it i i guess i'm a little divided because as museums we obviously you know we can't come to you Mm -hmm. um so the best thing is yeah to have a virtual tour and sort of walk through the galleries but you do miss that sort of personal connection with objects yeah, for sure. So it, it's it's hard, right? Because a lot of time and effort has to go into reproducing the gallery space, and it doesn't always translate. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Like you get, I think there's like a feeling that you get standing in front of of something, for exactly. sure. You know, so much goes into making sure that you get that experience when you stand in front of something. It, it it's sort of like a theater theatrical performance, like it's done yeah. in a museum. It's the lights, it's the sound, it's the way and the height that something is displayed. Like, yeah. It really is like a whole performance. Yeah, for sure. And like, yeah, otherwise, like, you're just watching, um, like, a, a recording of the performance. Like, it's not the same. <laughs> yeah. And also, it sort of, like, touches into something that I'm super interested in is, like, the digital versions of cultural objects. Oh, yeah. Um, and it, it, so it's like this pseudo, I guess, not science, but like pseudo museum thinking that like when you make a digital version of an object, then that now exists digitally. Oh, interesting. Does that change, you know, the way the object exists in the world? Like it's context in, in how people visualize it and like now it's like exists in this other realm or like it's an entity and yeah wow i haven't thought about that so yeah like i i worked on a project where um 
basically an indigenous group found out that we had a, a sacred mask. They they wanted the mask back. Mm-hmm. And part of repatriation at the museum right now is um, showing claim to how this object is connected to you or your cultural tribe. So it, it, it is, you know, a little bit of a form of vetting, which is problematic, but, you know, it's Right, it's I something. see. Anyway, so they, they uh, were able to provide some connection to the object, so we were going to put it on a long-term loan because they felt that they could not care for it after a certain point. Oh, I see. Yeah. Um, and so what the conservator decided was to take a 3D rendering of the object to mm-hmm. make sure what it, it exists as right now. Yeah. Because, you know, they were going to use it in, in their ceremonies and their traditional way. I see, yeah. Uh, which would change the object. But anyway, so after they took the 3D scan, the cultural group was like, so this 3D scan is now sacred and it needs to be restricted on who can access. Interesting. Okay. Like, yeah, yeah it, it, it has a life of its of its own. And so they were like, you know, this this mask is sacred to us and now you have, like, as part mm-hmm. of the process, it's now digitally sacred. So this data and information is also sacred. Is there an object in the world that's been restored that is your favorite or or interests you? I've never been asked that question. (laughs) So, I guess, um, maybe not restored, but Mm -hmm. uh, basically a few years ago, I think maybe last year, um, conservators were at this uh, small church in England, Mm -hmm. and um, they were conserving some sort of, uh, you know, religious tapestry. And okay. And someone was like, oh, actually, there's like a, there's a weird insert in between these layers. Let me just see what's inside. Uh, and it turned out to be a textile from Queen Elizabeth I. Oh, my gosh. And that is the only oh my uh, God. sort of wow. textile that exists from, from that far from Queen Elizabeth I. Yeah. Um, so it, it had just become like this, like, oh my God, this has been here the entire time. And it like sort of was brought out of through conservation work. Is there anything else that you've been working on? Um, like, I know now you're a supervisor, so you're not doing as much of restoring. One of my roles as a supervisor is to make sure that things are okay in the galleries. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is a lot of like monitoring, um, what is going on. So yeah, um, I, I, I tend to pay close attention to objects because I, I'm from that background. For sure, yeah. Um, so yeah, right now I'm sort of just like making sure there are no nothing going on in the galleries. And uh, we recently found out there was a little bit of a pest infestation, so that's not really fun. Oh no. But the, you know, these things are, pests are always a problem. So it's it's like the ongoing battle of, of oh yeah of of curation and museums 
yeah, a lot of responsibility and and things you have to consider. Like, I, I guess I never considered, like, all of the upkeep when a display is over or a, a showing. Where does all that stuff go? Yeah, like, you know, before, it's really, quarantine has, COVID has really uh, changed a lot of things, but right before isolation, we took down an exhibit and it was taxidermy and we found um, beetles in one of the specimens. Oh, no. And so we, <laughs> we had to isolate them. Um, and, like, put them in the freezer and, like, do this whole wow. um, sort of eradication of them. And then they still survive. And so we had to do research on how to how to get rid of them. And um, I made a anti-oxygen chamber, essentially. Wow. Just, like, I made a cube, put the objects inside, and then removed all of the oxygen out. And I left it the entire time we were in quarantine, and we came back, and they were dead. So oh, okay, so, success. <laughs> yeah. So oh my there's, gosh. There's a lot of like science and art that goes into conservation. And yeah. That a lot of people don't think about. So. Yeah, for sure. Like that marriage of of science and research, and also art. It's kind of one of the only fields of its kind. Yeah, I mean, like, so to get into the program that I did, you know, we had to take studio art classes so I took paint theory and um, I took clay like uh, ceramics um, and then I also had to do a bunch of chemistry so I had mm-hmm. to take like, up to second year chemistry of university oh wow yeah. that, that would be so hard for me <laughs> it, it was definitely like coming from humanitarian background it was really different, difficult yeah I can imagine good for you I mean you definitely use it like- like, yeah. I, while I was taking the classes, I was like, I'm never going to use this. But now I, like, I have to calculate, like, <laughs> I need to make a, a three grams per mole solution. Like, how Oh, wow. Yeah, and in terms of now, like, it, it has really changed. So it's more of just, like, managing mm-hmm. objects from afar, you know, making sure that kids are not poking them or pushing them over. Well, thank you so much. It was a nice time to talk to you. It's been, it's been forever. Well, where can people find you? Do you want to oh, give man. your socials a plug? <laughs> sure. I'll, I'll give you my, uh, my, professional, my professional social media. Oh, excellent. Um, yeah, and I post things like work that I'm doing or um, fun science stuff that I found. Um, but it's uh, brebus underscore conservation. So, um, okay. B R I V A S underscore conservation. Excellent. I'll put it also in the in the show notes too. Yeah. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, and uh, you know, stay safe. And, uh, don't uh, keep yourself busy. Yeah, I will. I, I'm trying. <laughs> All right. Okay. Hopefully, hopefully I speak to you soon. Okay. Take care. Right. You okay. too. Bye. Bye. Talking with Brandon made me so nostalgic. It brought me right back to our all-ears days in the CITR studio of the old Student Union building at UBC. That building has since been renovated, and the old CITR station is gone. If I remember correctly, its walls were covered in stickers, layers of ephemera placed there by the students who wandered in and out. As much as looking back 
pulls at my heartstrings, it felt good to revisit such an important and formative time in both of our lives. I am fascinated by the work Brandon is doing at the Museum of Vancouver and look forward to the day I can finally see it in person. Thanks for listening to this episode of Creativity Calls. I'm your host, Morme Zanke, and this podcast was produced by myself in my bedroom somewhere in suburbia. Special thanks to Brandon Rivas for his guest appearance and for his time and insight. This podcast featured an excerpt from our first episode of All Ears that originally aired on CITR 101.9 FM on April 2nd, 2014. If you want to hear more creativity calls, I encourage you to subscribe and also follow me on Instagram at creativity calls pod for show updates. I hope you're staying inspired and safe in your corner of the world.